Well, good morning. Welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. My name is James Foster. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am so excited to be here with you this morning. We're going to be in Judges chapter 6. That's on page 206 on the Bibles that are in front of you, if you guys want to go ahead and turn there. And while you do, uh, we are a church that loves to hear your questions. And so if you have questions, there will be this number on the bottom of the screen throughout the message. You can send us questions about this sermon if something's not clear, or maybe you want to go a little deeper on something, uh, or you can send us just your random questions about uh, Jesus that you want to know, and we'd love to tackle those throughout the week on our podcast. Um, And we are in a series on testing God, the rise and fall of Gideon, and the first week we talked about testing who I am. Gideon was given a new identity. He was a a fearful guy, kind of uh, trying to uh, get—he was working— with the wheat, but he was hiding in a wine press to do it. Uh, And then an angel of the Lord appears to him, gives him a new identity. Uh, And then the second week, we talked about testing worship. This was last week, we talked about risking it all, uh, where he was called to pull down the false worship altar, the altar of Baal, and he was given a new name of Jerubal, of the one who contends against Baal, or let Baal contend for himself. Uh, And so this week, what we're talking about is testing faith. Are we going to live by faith or are we going to live by fear? Because that's going to be tested. And um, there are a couple of reasons that we might resist living by faith. Uh, we, we get in these moments where we get fearful, where things kind of come up, and there are a couple of reasons that we don't live by faith. Sometimes we freeze in fear. We don't know what to do. We get nervous, uh, so we like maybe ask for a sign. We're looking for a reason not to do that thing that we know that we're supposed to do. Uh, So last week, uh, I got this text from Grayson, and it was asking me to lead worship at our outdoor service. Now, uh, some of you might be thinking, James, you don't play guitar, and I I don't. I don't play it well, okay? (laughs) Um, But I was asked to lead worship for our outdoor service, and nothing in me, well, I had prepared mentally to do it a few weeks ago, but then I I wasn't ready to do it, and then I was asked to do it, and I was like, okay, Uh, and he loops back around because I didn't respond to him, so he's like, hey, just checking in on this, and... uh, and I was like thinking on it. And that was like my maybe spirit. I'm, I'm glad I didn't say praying about it because I wasn't praying about it. I was, I was thinking about excuses or reasons that I wasn't going to do it. And so I was thinking on it. Um, and, and sometimes we do this because we're afraid we freeze and we don't do anything. And we don't, when we don't do anything, we, we're looking for a reason to not do that thing that God has called us to do or that we've been asked to do. And sometimes we resist living by faith when we want to fight our own fights. So uh, we are self-sufficient, we count on us, and when we count on us, we're just looking to do it ourselves. So like, let me muster the strength and the courage to do it myself, and I don't have to live by faith to do it because I've got enough in me to do it. And so um, maybe this is like uh, in, a, in a work situation, you, something's not going the way you want, and, and so instead of like, okay, I'm going to pray and I'm going to bring this to God and I'm really going to live by faith, I'm going to just like take it upon myself to work as hard as I possibly can to make this thing happen on my own. So I'm not living by faith when I'm white-knuckling the situation, when I'm making it happen on my own. And sometimes we don't live by faith because we have forgotten God's faithfulness, or we forget God's faithfulness. We forget how he's already answered prayers bigger than this one in the past, how he's already uh, moved mountains in front of us before, and so we just give up. We, we're more prone to run away. We're more prone to fight for ourselves when we forget how faithful our God has been. And um, 
And this, this could apply to any situation. So when, when I'm talking about living by faith, I don't want you to be uh, restricted to just thinking about, okay, God's going to call me to fight in the army. He's going to draft me, and I'm going to go and fight. No, it's not, it's not that thing. It's uh, whatever situation you're in, are you living by faith or are you living by, in fear? And uh, this could be like in your marriage, like have you given up because things have gotten too difficult and you're just going to settle for like the roommate thing? It could be at your workplace, like you didn't get that promotion and you've been let down, and so you're going to just hold on to that bitterness and kind of just check out there. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, are you going to live by faith or are you going to live in fear? And if you remember uh, the cycle in Judges, it's this classic cycle that isn't too unfamiliar to us, that we have this sin issue that happens, then it leads into oppression. That oppression, uh, for them, like they, they get... Uh, the Midianites were ruling over them. They were stealing all their produce. And then they, they repent. They cry out to God. God raises up a deliverer. He gives his Holy Spirit to a deliverer to then lead them out of that bondage, out of that oppression, and back into freedom until they sin again. And the cycle repeats itself. And so that's kind of what we see in Judges. What we see here when this deliverance happens is God's Spirit will come upon a person and he will be the deliverer who leads them out of that situation. And we're going to see that uh, here right at the beginning of this text. Uh, but first, let's pray. Lord, will you illuminate your spirit? Will you illuminate your word? Will your spirit uh, just be here with us and help us to focus? Give us your supernatural focus. Give us the ability to, to hear from you and not uh, just my broken, uh, fallible words, Lord, but from your infallible, perfect word. Uh, we want to we want to hear from you. We want you to be uh, the center of our worship, and we long to see you at work here. And Lord, we trust that you're going to do that uh, because you're good, you're gracious to us, and um, you're worthy of all of our worship. I pray uh, that you would expose different things, different areas that we are living by uh, fear in today, Lord, uh, whether it be uh, the way that we parent, whether it be the way that we work, the way that uh, we share our faith, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that you would, you would give us boldness, give us courage to live by faith instead of living by fear, that we wouldn't settle uh, for just decent. We wouldn't settle for just good enough, Lord, but we would uh, seek to live for you and for you alone. And so would you captivate our hearts? Would you use this time? Would you be glorified? Father, we love you and we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Judges 6, starting in verse 33. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east, these are the bad guys, they came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. They're very close to Gideon and where he's at. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Remember when the deliverer gets raised up, God's Spirit comes upon a person that he's going to use to deliver them with. And the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet. And the Abizarites, that's his people, his family, they were called out to follow him. Now, this whole part is all uh, great. God's Spirit comes upon him. He moves. He's bold. Um, he's about to deliver his people. Then uh, there's this, these two disjunctive clauses that happen, and he sent, and he sent. And basically what that's saying is verse 35 is separate from verse 34. So the Spirit coming upon him and clothing him uh, and him bringing his people out, that's great. That's exactly what should have happened. This next part is like Gideon kind of going above and beyond and taking it into his own hands and saying, I'm going to work for this. I'm going to get as big of an army as I possibly can because we, tr- we need more people. 
And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, that's his clan, that's his tribe, uh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, to Zebulun, and to Naphtali. These are all the good guys. He's building an army. He's bringing uh, these tribes together, the neighboring tribes, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. They're coming together to help Gideon and his people fight. And then Gideon goes uh, beyond again, and he's going to ask for something that he shouldn't be asking for. He's already had, uh, God has shown up. He sent a prophet to say, hey, we're going to deliver your people. He sent the angel of the Lord to tell Gideon, hey, I'm going to deliver your people. Um, He has used Gideon to pull down the Asherah pole and the altar of Baal already, and then protected him from the enemies, uh, his family trying to attack him for doing that. And so he's a little bit forgetful of God's faithfulness to provide, and he's asking for another sign when he says, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, as you have said, there's like this doubt that's communicated with that. Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. So he's, he's basically like playing a, a game with God. He's saying, okay, so if, if you're going to do this thing that you've already promised me that you would do, and he remembers that he did it, uh, I'm going to put out a blanket, a little fleece out here, and let the blanket, the fleece, be all wet and all of the ground be dry. And if that happens, then I'll know that you're with me and I'll know that I can proceed and we can go and do this fight thing. And so he's, he's looking for a sign. He's looking for another confirmation. He's looking uh, for the... Do- Basically, he'll know that it's right if the blanket is wet and the ground is dry. Okay? And it was so. God is gracious to answer his prayer. He does the thing. Uh, and when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Then Gideon said, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Um, so he knows his prayer has been answered. And guess what? The sign wasn't enough. He needs another sign. So he's asking, okay, I know that this could get me in trouble, but, but don't, don't be mad at me, God but I need, I need just one more. Can you do me one more favor here? And so he asks for another favor. He asks, uh, and, and he's basically saying, okay, I need, I need a li- another reminder here, God. I need another reminder that you're with me. Will you help me here? And he knows that it's going to be difficult. He knows that God might be mad. And what this reminds me of is like, um, as a kid, I, I wasn't a Christian as a kid, so I, I, maybe give me some grace on this. I remember I'd go out and I'd play basketball, and I'd be like, okay, God, if you're real, like, just let me make this shot. <laughs> and, and I would make it, and then I'd be like, well, you know, I don't know. I've, ma- I've made that shot before. I don't know about that. Okay, let's do it again. And then I'd, I'd make it, and I'd be like, ah, it wasn't really enough. And then I'd miss it, and I'd be like, well, the wind picked up a little bit. And it's like, okay, this is a weird game to play, right? Because regardless of the result of the basket going in or not, I was going to have an excuse. It wasn't going to change my belief. And in the same way, Gideon here is asking for something. He's playing games with God when there's a huge army right outside. Now, I wasn't in the military like Joseph and Chris, so I I can't speak to this quite as well as they can. But I know if there's a huge army of 135,000 of the enemies right outside of where we are, it's probably not a good time to be playing games and to be asking for confirmation and to be saying, okay, let's let's do this thing one more time. Can you just, just verify that for me, right? That's a good way for you to get enveloped by the enemy and killed, right? So not a time to play games. This is a time for moving. It's a time for action. 
Um, and so this is, this is a weird place for Gideon to go. And he knows that God could be rightfully angry at him. That's why he's saying, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please, let me test just once more with the fleece. Let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. He thinks maybe, okay, maybe I did this backwards. Maybe because of the fleece, it's like cloth and it'll absorb, it's absorbent and stuff. It'll absorb all the water. So maybe I asked for it backwards. Let me ask for it the other way where the fleece is dry, but the ground is all wet. And so he asked for that. And God is gracious to do so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, there was dew. He's, Gideon should know not to test God. He should know that this isn't the time to test God. He should know that he has already received more than enough confirmation that God is going to deliver him through the angel speaking to him. He was able to say, hey, God, if you're going to deliver me like you said you were, uh, just show me one more time. So he remembers what God said, but he's not believing it. And so this is a problem. Um, God's gracious to do so again that night. Um, And so Gideon keeps getting these signs. It was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. So uh, what we see first is that Gideon fearfully tests God. Because he's afraid, because he's nervous about what's going to happen, he's testing God. Um, when, I, when I was talking to Grayson, I was thinking on it because I was thinking about all the excuses that I might have not to do that thing, right? Uh, and, and a lot of times we can, uh, because of our fear we can look for excuses. We can look for reasons not to obey rather than living by faith, rather than doing that thing that might be difficult, it might be embarrassing, uh, it might not go as you wanted it to, but you're obeying God. And that's worth way more uh, than any sort of embarrassment you might feel uh, doing something that you're not so great at, okay? Um, I, get, I get nervous every time I preach, like, there's this thing that, like, my mouth gets crazy dry, and, like, I have this spray that I use to, like, keep my mouth moist so that my tongue doesn't stick to itself, because there's this, this like, fear in me of, like, I don't want to misrepresent God, and some of that's, like, a, a beautiful, it's coming from a beautiful place, and some of that's not coming from a beautiful place. It's coming from a place of pride and a place of wanting to have approval from men, and so, so being willing to say yes even when it's scary, being willing to say yes, even when it's, it's not fun, even when, like, no matter how many hours you prepare, and even if your kids go away for a weekend and your wife's gone for a weekend and you have, like, an infinite time to prepare, you're not prepared enough and you, don't, you still feel nervous, right? You're, will you still obey me? Will you still follow God and do the scary thing? Because living by faith is exactly where he wants us to be. Even when we fall flat on our face, even when it's embarrassing, even when it's difficult, even when there's babies screaming, when all the technical difficulties arise, right? Will you follow him? Will you obey him? And instead of testing him, instead of looking for excuses, um, instead of becoming weird, superstitious folks, looking for uh, signs not to follow. Okay, so... Since I talked about it, I'll go ahead and use one of these sprays. <laughs> so then Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Kerod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. Now, uh, he's 
his new name, let Baal contend against him. And all the people who were with him rose early and they encamped by the spring, the camp of Midian, just north of them. Their, their action is rising. There's this thing that's cool that's happening. What's cool here also is the spring of Herod or Kerod. It's got like the Jewish sound in there. Um, it's the literally means to tremble. And what's cool about this to me, at least maybe I'm a little, I'm a little nerdy on this stuff, but they're in the place of trembling. Gideon is trembling. He's afraid. His army is trembling. They're afraid. Um, and so it, they're in a place that has the same name, which I just think is really cool how God kind of weaves those things together. Uh, so there's this fear in them, and it's rightfully so because there's this huge army right north of them. Uh, they've got an army of about 32,000, and they're facing an army of about 135,000. And so there's this rightful reason for them to maybe have some fear. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Um, God knows Israel. He knows that after he delivers them, it's just a matter of time before they go and apostatize again, before they go and they sin again and worship other gods. And he knows that they're so quick to forget that he's not going to let them beat this army like if they have 32,000 and the army they're going against has 135,000, that's like a 1 to 4.2 ratio, right? So like 1 to 4 men. So if we believe that each of us could take four people each, then we're still going to boast about it. He knows how arrogant they are. And that that's, uh, reminds me of me, right? Like I could, I could see myself like, you know, I could take down four guys. I'd, I'd probably be okay with four, like 1 to 4, give it to me. Like I'll take that. And and he's like, no, this is too much because you're still going to convince yourself that you delivered yourself from this situation. And I'm not, I'm not going to let you worship this other God because I'm, I love you too much to let you do that. So I'm going to make it even more impossible so that even you and your arrogance can't take credit for this. And so um, he delivers them. He graciously uh, delivers them from that problem before it happens. And so... With this, I was thinking about, uh, do we trust in the number of people we have fighting with us, or do we trust in the God who we serve? Are we going to trust in the, the probability of a situation, or are we going to trust in the God who does the impossible, who brings the dead to life, who heals the sick? Will we trust him? Because he can do the impossible. Amen. And we got to believe that. He will do the impossible. He delights in doing the impossible and using the weak to shame the strong. And, and sometimes God withholds blessing from us when it leads us into pride. And so is your heart ready to receive God's blessing or are you going to boast about it? Because God is gracious to withhold blessing when it would lead us into pride. So is your heart ready for that? And, and I... I don't say that to like make it all about you because it's not all about you. It's all about God and his glory. But God and his love for you, his great love for you, will withhold good things if, they become, if they're going to draw you away from him. And so prepare your heart to worship him and him alone regardless of the circumstance, regardless of how things look. Will you worship him and him alone? Because he's worthy of our worship. All right, verse 3. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 
of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So he had 32,000 in his army. So he was going to fight like a one to four battle, which was pretty tough. And he's, he's saying, okay, I'm going to test you. I'm going to shrink your army. And now it's all of a sudden one to 13 and a half. So that's, that's pretty bad ratio still. Like you're, you're going to have to take down 13 and a half men each. Um, is any man fearful and faint hearted? Let him go back to his house. So this is a Deuteronomy 20 verse eight. Uh, God instructs like as they're going to war, they should send home the faint hearted because that's, uh, it spreads. So like if we got some scaredy cats, it'll spread to the other guys and it'll make us an army of scaredy cats. So we got to send home the ones that are afraid. So he sends home the people that are afraid. This makes a lot of sense. This is a good thing to do. Um, but all of a sudden his army is cut down to be a third of the size it was. And now it'll be one versus every uh, 13 and a half. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. You're still so arrogant that you would take credit for the 13 and a half. You would say, you know, what? We, we probably could take down 13 and a half people each. We'd probably still win. Uh, we're going we're gonna to shrink the army even further. So take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go, shall not go. So I'm, I'm encouraged by the Israelites and Gideon being too prideful to take credit for the 13 and a half. They're going to they're gonna go and they're going to get this new test for them to shrink the army even further. And God is going to test them. And he's also testing Gideon by testing his faith here to see if he'll trust him and him alone instead of the numbers of the army. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. Um, so basically make two groups. We've got the group of the kneelers and we've got the group of the lappers. The kneelers are uh, maybe a little more dignified in the way that they drink and the lappers are a little less dignified. Uh, And those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. Now this is kind of weird to to picture um, and I don't want to recreate any of it too too much. Uh, But basically the ones who lapped might have like squatted down and then they would, they would put a, their hand into the water, and they would just scoop it into their mouth, right? And at first, I was picturing, like, a weird, like, tongue-flapping thing. That didn't, I don't think that happened. It was the lapping with their hand, okay? A little bit, like, they're the guys without the good table manners, okay? And then the ones who knelt down to drink, they might kneel down, right? So they would be more vulnerable in this position. And then they might bring two cups to their hand and drink that way. That's, that's sort of what I picture. Basically, the idea is... It's not about how they drank as much as God saying, I'm going to put one group over here and one group over here, and I'm going to give you the tiny group, okay? You, there could be some merit to some people who say uh, there's like this, uh, the ones who lap, they're more aware, they're less prone because they're in like a squatting position. It doesn't technically say that, but they could be, they could be more savage, which would mean they, they're, they're ready to fight against a greater odds, which could be, or it could be that God wants the smaller number because that's where he's going to be the most glorified, because that's going to be the most impossible victory, where only he's going to be able to bring that about. So focus on God using the small number more than how they drank, because that, that's a little distracting and fun, but uh, we'll, we'll just leave it there. Okay. And the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others who go, every man to his home. Uh, so... <clears throat> Keep the 300, send the 9,700 home. They're not, they're not going to stay. Remember I said uh, when he called Manasseh 
when he called Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, that was probably going above and beyond. God's saying, hey, it's not about you calling this whole army together. It's about you and just this small group of people doing what I've called you to do and going and being bold with that. So the people took their provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent. But he retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So what we see here is that God tests Gideon's faith. He took the army from 32,000 down to 10,000, and then down all the way to 300. So going from 10,000 to 300, that was the 3% of what he had right before then. Uh, He went from 1 verses 4 to 1 verses 13 to 1 verses 450. So even somebody as arrogant as uh, one of us, me included, uh, might not boast and say, look at what I did. I, I beat 450 guys. Uh, I, I won this war on my own. And God is gracious to do that. He's gracious to grow Gideon's faith, to test Gideon's faith here. Um, and, and like I said, I, I get nervous every time I share God's word. Um, and sometimes I don't, sometimes in smaller settings, I don't get nervous. And that makes me more nervous, more concerned for myself, right? So sometimes I'll be sharing my faith and there will be a prayerlessness about the way that I share my faith that, that like, it's like, it's on me. Like I got this. Like I, I, I shared the gospel this week. Uh, and, and I had like a clean, smooth, beautiful gospel presentation. It was like the clearest it could possibly be. And, and in my prideful, arrogant heart, there was something that was like, there's no way this guy's going to say no to Jesus now. <laughs> and I'm like, looking back, I'm like, wow, that is ridiculous that God didn't just smite me down right there, but he's gracious towards all of us, okay? And, and so as I shared, uh, this person came back with like 12 objections of, of like why they don't believe. And, and it was a humbling moment for me that, that it was like God is gracious to withhold blessing when my heart's not ready to receive it. God graciously will say no when, when it's beyond us, when our hearts aren't in a place to receive it. And so don't do Christian things in your own strength. If you do the right thing with the wrong heart, that's still sin. And so we, we've got to be constantly examining ourselves. And, and it's not about doing good things. It's about believing in a good God, trusting Jesus with all of our hearts, forsaking everything else, even doing good religious things for him. Because he wants our hearts. And, and he's willing to put us in embarrassing situations for him to have it. And, and so do you trust the number of men you have with you or you trust the God you have with you to deliver you? Are you trusting the things you can see or are you trusting the invisible God of the universe who has promised the victory? Trust him. He's worth it. He'll, he'll sometimes shrink the army uh, so that we won't boast. And, and in his grace, uh, he sometimes doesn't use our, our best, most polished efforts uh, so that we can depend on him more, so that we'll trust him more because he wants our hearts. Okay, so we've seen uh, Gideon tested God. We've seen God tested Gideon and his faith 
And now we're going to see uh, one final thing here in this text. And, and this is going to be the peak of Gideon. This, this series is called The Rise and Fall of Gideon. We're going to see all the way up to the rise, the highest height for Gideon, where he kind of gets it. And I, I, I don't want to talk bad about Gideon because he's in the Hall of Faith somehow. He's like one of those guys that's like, <laughs> somehow, he's somehow up there like, he's like a, a, somebody whose faith we should commend. But I don't know how, I don't, I don't know why he's on that list. It, it doesn't make sense. But, but we're going to see, we're going to see some great faith. I mean, I didn't fight against, in an army of 300 against 13, 135,000. So that's pretty, that's pretty big. But we'll see Gideon take some faith here and, and, after 800 signs from God, he's going to obey. <laughs> that same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they shall say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Now Gideon, remember, he's, seen an angel, he's heard a prophet from God that says, Hey, we're, I'm going to deliver my people. He's seen an angel of the Lord. He has torn down an altar of Baal. He has gotten the fleece sign. He got the fleece sign reversed. And now God says, hey, this is it. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. This is where you're going to deliver everybody. But if you're afraid, I got you. I got a sign pre-prepared for you to go in here if you need it. And somehow he needs it. Which is crazy, it's crazy, but it's okay. We're going to be gracious to Gideon because God is gracious to Gideon. Uh, but he's not an example to follow, so don't follow Gideon's example. But he's, but he's, yeah, okay. Learn from it. Learn from it. All right. So God knew what Gideon needed. He said, if you're afraid, I'm going to even send you with Pura, your servant. I'm going to send you a buddy to go down with you, and you're going to go into the enemy camp to hear something. So it seems like more of a scary thing for him to go there, but he goes there anyways because it's going to strengthen him to do what God's calling him to do. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. So he went. He was still afraid. He still needed that extra encouragement. He went with Pura down to the enemy camp. The men are like locusts in abundance. If he was scared before, he's even more scared now. He can't even count them. They're like locusts in abundance. Their camels are innumerable like sand at the sea. This is crazy. So there's this huge army with huge camels with all of the the great gear. So they're like best army, best gear. They're rich. They've got everything they need. It's probably not looking good. He's probably even more terrified than he was before, but he's going to hear something from the Lord. And uh, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled down into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. So um, God sent him to come and hear this dream, this guy has a dream, and he, he shares it. Uh, this cake of barley bread uh, kind of represents like poor people. Gideon would be familiar with this because this is probably most of what he'd been eating. Um, it tumbled into a camp at Midian. It struck it so that it fell down and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. So um, I, I don't know what the tents were like exactly here, and I didn't do all the research there, but I haven't seen a lot of tents that would get knocked down by a loaf of bread. 
Okay, so you throw a loaf of bread against a tent, it falls down. Probably not a great tent. Probably not the kind of tent that these guys, the rich, the guys with the best of the best had, right? So this would be a very upsetting dream because it is, it's very strange. Um, but what we see here is that the guy gives him an interpretation. His comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. So Gideon, remember at the very beginning, he was like, I'm a nobody. I'm the least of my clan. My clan is tiny, and we're the least of the tribes of Israel. Like, I'm the worst of the worst. I'm the lowest of the lows. So for this guy to know him was a huge deal. And then for him to say, God has given it into his hand, Midian, and all the camp was also a huge deal, right? And this is kind of like one of those moments where uh, you know, like your spouse or your friend, like you've been telling them this thing like a lot and like it's like great advice, but they, they're not quite hearing it. And then some rando says it and they're like, listen, I heard the best advice. And it's like word for word what you've been sharing. And then they're all of a sudden it's like, and I'm, I'm ready to follow it. I'm ready to listen to it. Like, I just, I'm so glad that this person is so wise that they would share this advice with me. And he's finally ready to receive it when it comes from a, a stranger when it comes from the rando in this enemy camp because God gave his friend, that guy's friend a dream and he gave him an interpretation of the dream for Gideon to hear it. And so Gideon, at his peak of all of his faithfulness, he heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation and he worshiped. God wants our hearts. He wants our worship. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. When we're worshiping God... It leads to obedience. True worship leads to obedience. If, if your worship doesn't lead you to obedience, I question if it's truly worship. And so what we see here is that God reassures Gideon. God reassures Gideon's faith. He's, he's given him the comfort. He's, he's working in spite of Gideon. He knew that Gideon would be too afraid to follow through. He knew that he didn't have enough time to keep giving him sign after sign after sign after sign. So he gave him a really special sign where he was going to reassure his faith so that he could obey. And he provides this dream. He provides the interpretation. He provides this way for him to stealthily come into camp without being noticed by the enemies when there's innumerable enemies laying there. It's like this crazy faith moment where he's stepped out in faith, and maybe that's why he's in the hall of faith, uh, that he has obeyed God and that he heard this interpretation and God used that to reassure his faith. And I think about uh, this and I think about uh, last weekend, um, we went out of town and uh, I got to share with a dying man the gospel. And before I was going, um, uh, I had heard like, James, this guy is evil. Like, it's like, it's like, I, I, there might be like a demon thing going on here. Like, I don't know what's going on, but it's going to be dark. It's going to be like a really hard situation. Are you ready for that? I was like, yeah, of, uh, of course, like, it, it could be scary. But like, what's more scary to me is this guy not hearing the gospel when he's looking death in the face. And... Um, and so it was not a pretty gospel presentation. Uh, at first, like, the, he, he challenged me with, I don't know, like, I heard Jesus sinned once. Uh, I don't know if Jesus was just, you know, another guy like the rest of us. Um, and, like, there was a lot of broken conversation because 
he had gun smoke on like volume 100 on his TV, and we had to turn that off, and then he was mad, and I had to work through all that situation. But I got to share the gospel, and, and he agreed that he, he was a sinner. He said, I know that I've messed up. I've sinned. I've got a lot of people I want to apologize to. And he said, I, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. And I want to follow him, whatever that means. And I was like, well, for you, it's probably loving him and worshiping him and loving your family that's around you, loving the people that are around you as best as you can and sharing about the hope that you have. There might not be a whole lot to that at this point, but, but this is what following him would look like at this point. And so the next day I was talking to his wife, and she said, I came home, and he was a different man. He hasn't, he hasn't been kind to me in years, and he, he was loving. He kissed me. He, he invited me to come and sit with him in his bed. He was a changed man. And it was, it was amazing to see what God had done, that God would rescue the unrescuable, that, that he would take someone who was staring death in the face, who deserves death, and he would be gracious to him. And, and I'm so grateful for, for God using me in, in that way of, of sharing that, even when it seemed like there was no way it was going to happen. And I was there for like two and a half hours of, of sharing and trying to make it make sense to the best that I could. And Somehow, we know that, that he's trusted Jesus and that he is going to be with the Lord. And so we can celebrate God in that. And, and all this just leads me to this question of, are you living by faith or are you living by fear? Jesus, uh, he provides the least likely victory by dying on the cross for his enemies, to pay for their sins, to raise from the dead. And, and living by faith starts by trusting in Christ. And so if you are here and you don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to plea with you for the, the second or third time today of trust in Christ. Believe in Jesus to be saved. He is worth it. He's good. Uh, he saves even the worst of us, even those who don't deserve it in any stretch. And he, if you're here and you're hearing this message and you have not believed in Jesus to be saved, will you consider that? Will you admit that you have sinned, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead? And will you choose to follow him, relinquish your will to take his, to follow him instead? Amen. And if you're here and you're a Christian, do you know that there's nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of Christ? Do you know that, that even when we fail, even when we're like Gideon, even when we're asking for sign and sign again, and it's not working out, that God is gracious? that he loves us where we are, that he, he met Gideon where he was and used Gideon where he was, even though he's a broken man like you and me. He's, even though we're broken, he meets us in our faithlessness, he meets us in our skepticism, and he reveals himself to us. And we have this great hope in Jesus that even though we're broken, that he is perfect, that even though we sin that he has already lived a perfect life so that when God sees us in our brokenness, he's not holding that against us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but there's just grace. 
And so today's an exciting day, uh, a, a day that we get to take communion together, a day that we're going to have a baptism in a, in a moment. Um, and so if you're here and you're a Christian, we're going to take communion together. And this is a chance for us to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And um, what we'll do is we're going to take the next 30 seconds for you to uh, pray and for you to confess uh, how you've fallen short of God's glory, how you've fallen short of what God has done uh, for you, and just to consider uh, things that you may want to repent of before we take communion together. So go ahead and let's do that. All right, guys. This morning, God is calling us out of fear into faith in him and him alone. He is gracious to deliver us from our fear. He says time and time again in his word, do not be afraid. Trust in him and him alone to deliver you from that fear. He is good. He is gracious. He is sovereign over all. He's in control of everything. He's worthy of our trust. Will you trust in him? Will you flee from fear and live your life by faith? Worship him and him alone. Go and be a people who are sent to live on mission for him. Go and be a people of faith, who live by faith, where we can see it and be spurred on by each other's faithfulness, by obedience to God, even when it looks like there's no possible way that we would have a victory. He is going to be the one who provides that victory. And it's in him and him alone that our trust should be. So go and be a people of faith. Go and have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.